Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining. Today, my friend Sue shares her inspiring story of surviving cancer and how psilocybin helped her to heal from devastating heartbreak. Sue Molnar is a lifelong fitness lover who lives in the Hudson Valley with her three cats. She's known as SoulCycle Sue and is one of the original instructors at SoulCycle in New York City. She's also a seeker of higher truth, love, healing, and alternative approaches to quality of life and health. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hi, Sue. Hi, Min. So nice to see you. Nice to meet you. And nice be to here. meet you too. I know. Thanks to our mutual friend Beth for introducing us and connecting us. Shout out to Beth. <laughs> so thank you again for taking the time to do this. I think it's going to be yeah. very inspiring for people to hear your story and your journey as well. Hmm. So I'm not sure about that, but hopefully it won't be depressing. I'm joking. I'll just start by saying that. I am a cancer survivor, although that really doesn't have much to do with why I wanted to do psychedelic therapy. Mm. But I did have cancer about five or six years ago, and it came out of the blue. I caught it very early, so it was supposed to be one surgery, and then I was going to be on my merry way. So I had endometrial cancer, mm. and that meant that I needed a full hysterectomy. Mm. However, when they did the surgery, they discovered that the cancer that I had, even though it was at stage one, the cancer cells were grade 
C. It's like A, B, C. Stages are one, two, three, four. I could be getting this wrong, but grade of cancer cells is like A, B, C. And A mm. is the slow moving, not so brutal kind. And C is the fast microscopically spread through mm. the body kind. And I had chemotherapy and radiation as well. Wow. While I was doing chemotherapy, I had to have a full hysterectomy for the surgery for them to remove the cancer. I was 52 years old. Mm. And for the very first time in my entire life, my boyfriend proposed to me and I was engaged to be married, Wow! which I was thrilled about, but it happened at the same time as my cancer adventure. And so not only was I going through chemo and losing my hair and sick and horrible, all that stuff, but because of the hysterectomy, this might be TMI for certain people. My fiance basically split me open. It turned out that the physics of my and my fiance's bodies were such that he ended up kind of splitting me open internally three separate times. Each time that happened meant an emergency trip to surgery to get myself sewn back up. So Mm -hmm. it was a traumatic experience in a loving act. It was painful and harmful, Mm -hmm. you know, and which was traumatic for both of us. I got through chemo and radiation. I ended up with five different surgeries in that process. And we did get married. We had an absolutely beautiful wedding. And the surgeries actually happened twice while we were engaged. And then six months after we were married, it happened again. Mm. So the first year of our marriage was fraught with medical issues. And he was a lot younger than me. And it really overwhelmed both of us. And he ended up meeting someone else and deciding he no longer wanted to be married to me. Mm. I found out in a horrible way at the end of 2019. And so January, February, March of 2020 were horrible months where we tried to figure out what was going to happen and were we going to go to therapy, try to work Mm. it out, or was this the end? And then the pandemic hit. So we were quarantined together in the beginning, but that turned out to be the nail in the coffin Mm. for him. And that was a long way of saying that we did not make it. He decided he did not want to be married anymore. I desperately wanted to try to work it out. Mm. I was left alone in our apartment in June of 2020 to ride out the rest of the pandemic by myself and get our apartment on the market and sell it during the pandemic. Oh my God. Cancer was horrible and an experience I wouldn't wish on anyone. I take things in stride and I was like, okay, got this. Tell me what to do to fix it. Surgery, here I am. Chemo, okay, here's my arm. And I just really soldiered through it and kind of soldiered through things in life. And that was okay. I felt like I had a lot of support and care and friends and that I was truly blessed and lucky to have found it early and to have the resources to 
cure it. And so even though the surgeries and the chemotherapy and everything ravaged my body, I lost all my hair, lost mm. all my eyelashes, eyebrows, everything. But I bounced back from it beautifully, mm. physically, and really what I thought mentally and emotionally as well. After the cancer, when we got married and all that, I felt great. I felt healthy. I was a good weight. My skin looked good. My hair looked beautiful. Like everything was great. Then the implosion of my marriage happened. And that was 1,000 times harder than cancer. Oh, my God. That was me having the culmination of my life's hopes and dreams mm. basically shattered and all my beliefs in love and my whole belief system and whole financial and logistical and emotional and practical and daily companionship lifestyle and everything was like a big rug got pulled from underneath me and I landed in a pandemic by myself. Yeah. And that just crushed me physically. I've always been fit and on the thin side. I've been a fitness instructor and I've always been tall and rather thin, but I lost a bunch of weight. I think we all know that like some people joke that it's the heartbreak diet which once again, I wouldn't wish on anyone, but you usually see it. If people go through a really bad breakup, one of them, you will usually suddenly show up really skinny, right? Yeah. And that was me. I lost a ton of weight. And normally I'm 5'9", and I was weighing about 135. Oh my God. I dropped down at one point to 112. Oh my God. I, I stepped on the scale and I remember looking at it and thinking, I haven't weighed this since I was 12 years old. Oh my God. Since I was a little girl. And so I'm better now. I think I'm about 118 now. And that was three years ago. Mm. So I found myself, my hair thinned out and dulled. It lost its shine. And I lost about half my hair volume, my skin and my flesh. The, what was left of me just kind of hung on my bones. Mm -hmm. And I just looked horrible. It felt like I grew old overnight. And of course, I was going through forced menopause because of the hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. right. I was at that age where it was going to happen naturally anyway. When it's forced on your body, it's much more severe. So it was at a time in my life when to look in the mirror and be horrified by what I saw added to the trauma of what mm -hmm. I was going through. Mm -hmm. I got on a mission to try to dig myself out of the hole, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. I had to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. I was a regular drinker and I had to stop drinking completely because I could not recover Mm. even having one glass of wine. right? One glass of wine would make me feel good for 10 minutes maybe. And then it would give me three hours of anxiety and the thoughts that you can't control. So yeah. I thought, okay, alcohol is out. Mm -hmm. And I started trying everything. I started trying breathing exercises. I adopted the Wim Hof method. I did cold plunges and breathing techniques Every single day for over a year, every morning, I did a cold plunge and breathing. I was going to therapy. It was the pandemic, so everything was via computer. Right. And I tried EMDR. 
Mm. because I thought my body is traumatized and talk therapy isn't going to help me get better physically. I got to know a new therapist who was trained in trauma therapy, which cost me a fortune and which took a lot of time. I tried EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. For those that are not familiar with EMDR, Mm -hmm. it's a trauma therapy and it's you either follow a ball from side to side with your eyes, or sometimes you have the buzzers in each hand. It rotates between hands while you talk about your trauma and it processes it out of the cells of your body from what I understand. Right. Well, I did not have any luck with EMDR because Mm. I couldn't feel anything. Mm. I went through different phases of grief about my life and my marriage. And at first I was so devastated, I couldn't stop crying and I could barely function. And then I just turned into a zombie and then I couldn't feel anything. Mm. I couldn't cry, couldn't laugh. Couldn't feel anything, no highs, no lows. I was just a zombie. I was like the walking dead. So while I tried EMDR, I couldn't feel anything. So I felt like I couldn't process anything or release the trauma from my physical body because I wasn't feeling while I was doing it. Yeah. I also did a ton of research. And one of the things that made me realize and helped me stop alcohol cold turkey, because a lot of people, when they go through a hard time in life, You're like, for God's sake, don't take my wine from me right now. Like I need it, you know? And I ended up basically saying at the time, if things are bad, have a glass of wine, take the edge off. If things are really, really bad, you can't have the glass of wine, if that makes sense. And But one of the things that made me realize that is I was doing a ton of research on alcohol, on nutrition, on breathing, on grief, on letting go, on different types of therapies. And I stumbled on psychedelic therapy. Hmm. So I listened to podcasts like the one you're doing. (laughs) I read books. I talked to people who had done it. And since I could not summon any of my inner life with EMDR, I thought, well, maybe I need some plant medicine help. I read a lot of Michael Pollan. Yeah. I tried ketamine therapy, actually. Mm-hmm. And that I found very helpful. I found the ketamine experience, although I don't believe it's listed as a psychedelic. It's not. I mean, it's legalized, and there's a lot of ketamine clinics that have popped up because it's an anesthetic, right? Mm. But it's being used to help people calm the mind so that you're not always ruminating. So was it helpful for you in that respect? Did it help to calm your mind from ruminating and having things swirl in your head over and over again? What was your feeling from it? What did you get from that? It was helpful and I really liked it. I will say 10 years ago, I had a bad breakup. And back then, even at the time going through it, I knew that I was responding to the breakup disproportionately to Mm. the relationship itself. Mm -hmm. I didn't think this is the one. I didn't think this is the love of my life, any of that. But when the breakup happened, I went into an actual depression. So I had never felt clinical depression before, but I think it triggered some childhood stuff. And I felt what it felt like to be clinically depressed for the first time. I actually Mm. went on an SSRI at the time. It's the only Mm -hmm. time in my life I've ever taken those. 
And because that's when I was having the anxious, obsessive thoughts that would not stop. In the middle of the night, if I woke up, it was just a beehive in my head. Right. right. The SSRI nipped that in the bud. It completely cured me of those obsessive, anxious thoughts. However, it flatlined me emotionally. And after a month or two, I weaned off of it and not knowing if the obsessive thoughts were going to come back once right. I did, and right. they did not come back. Right. So I was kind of a poster child for the SSRIs. They did the trick. Hmm. I wasn't on them long. I weaned off and I was good to go. This time, actually, because I stopped drinking, because I was meditating every morning, that's hmm. another thing I did religiously. I got three different meditation apps, Calm, Insight Timer, and 10% Happier. And I meditated my plum fool ass off. Mm. And so I learned to separate my mind and my consciousness from the thoughts. And I, I truly got a sense of, I am not my thoughts. I am the consciousness that is aware of my thoughts. Right. And that was tremendously helpful. I would credit Eckhart Tolle for that because he's another author that I was reading religiously. He's the first one who brought it to my attention that we are not our thoughts. Our thoughts happen to us. Right. We are the awareness. I didn't feel that I needed the ketamine to shut the thoughts off because of meditation and because of all the things I was practicing, the breathing, the cold plunges. I did the tapping for a while. Anything that I saw, I, did, I tried. Mm -hmm. The ketamine didn't necessarily do that for me because I was already doing that for myself naturally. Right. However, it did give me some of the things that I've heard people experience on psilocybin are the experiences I actually had with ketamine. Mm, like um, I had a few very mild hallucinatory sessions. Mm -hmm. I definitely had a sense of connectedness to the whole Oh, and that our connection with each other is just the be all end all of why we're here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and love. Mm -hmm. I felt like I got some very profound insights with ketamine that I kind of already knew and already believed, but just a very joyous, peaceful, loving affirmation or validation that that is true. I didn't really think, oh, I'm going to do ketamine the rest of my life. You know, right. I kind of went through a couple months of that and my body just wasn't getting better. I wasn't gaining any weight. I couldn't mm -hmm. gain a pound. Mm -hmm. I ate, I drank protein shakes. I tried everything. I started taking Nutrafol, which is like a hair vitamin. Yeah. I went to a million doctors. I went to a functional medicine doctor. I had my gut, my microbiome tested. I I went to a traditional uh, gastroenterologist. I went to an acupuncturist. I mean, I had spent so much money and time and effort trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me and mm -hmm. why I couldn't gain a single pound, why I couldn't get my hair to come back. Right. I just felt like I lost my vibrancy. I lost my mojo and mm -hmm. physically and nothing I tried seemed to get it back. And I thought, okay. I heard a podcast about psilocybin and I immediately knew that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. One of the therapists I talked to, we realized ketamine is a dissociative experience. 
Yes. And I needed actually an immersive experience. Yes. And so what I did is I heard a podcast from a man named Justin Townsend, Mm -hmm. and he is the CEO of Myco Meditations, which is a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica. And he's this wonderful British guy with this deep, lovely voice in a British accent talking about how wonderful their experiences for users. And I just knew it. I said, that's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. I had to save up my money to afford to go. I was going to go come hell or high water. I was like, that's it because, and that's what I did. I went to Myco Meditations in Jamaica and it's a week-long retreat. It's on the ocean. And I absolutely love, loved, loved it, which is funny to say because I did not necessarily have good experiences in my psilocybin journeys. Right. But I was very grateful I went and I feel like it was very beneficial that I went. There were 10 of us. What I didn't quite realize until I got down there is there's a ton of group therapy Mm. and integration. Mm -hmm. So there are three different psilocybin sessions, like a mild, medium, high. Oh, yeah. And so the first day we all just got to know each other in a kind of a group therapy setting and got to know the facilitators and the therapist. You have a leader of the week and apparently Justin doesn't do it very often, but I just lucked out and happened to be there in a week where he was the leader, which I was so happy about, but we got to know each other. And then, so the second day is the first psilocybin experience. They harvest the psilocybin themselves. Oh, wow. They grow their own mushrooms. Everything is done on site and it's put into capsule form. Mm. So you take capsules and I took three grams, Mm. which I was thinking was a mild dose, but it's actually can be considered a pretty high dose depending on the situation. I've listened to your other podcasts and we've talk about set and setting. And so the setting was gorgeous and I felt absolutely safe Mm -hmm. and taken care of and that all the variables were under the control of people who were experienced and knew what they were doing. There were very kind and loving individuals that work there. Just the most positive, supportive, wonderful, wonderful people. And what was your mindset going into it? What was your mindset was going into it? Because your mindset, I was so you were, you were I ready. Could, I, I couldn't wait. I had to wait a few months to go because they're sold out. Mm. I just was like counting down the days until I could go. And I wasn't scared at all yeah. because I just knew, I, I thought this is the safest place to try th- to do this. Yes. And it was. And, and you were ready. I feel like it called to you. So you were ready. Absolutely. I was. I felt like I had tried everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really tried everything else. There are people who barely scratched the surface of any of the therapies and the modalities that you tried. I mean, mm-hmm. essentially almost every single thing that you named, maybe besides somatic therapy, you really have tried every single thing to try and heal yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I still am, honestly. I kind of felt like it was my Mount Everest of 
the healing modalities. Mm-hmm. And so the first session I did was three grams. And I will tell you that all of my sessions, I've heard say that no two psilocybin sessions were the same. Yeah. Well, all three of mine were the same. Whoa. And none of them were pleasant. I blacked out. Mm. And I'm not saying I passed out because you have headphones on and we used playlists that were curated by Johns Hopkins for a psilocybin experience. I'm, I would put the eye mask on and had the headphones on and just lay there and just listen to the music. And I just went away. I wasn't conscious of mm. anything. I didn't have any visitations. I didn't have any hallucinations. I didn't have any memory surface. That's the only thing I was a little wary of is because I'm the kind of person that I do not remember any of my childhood. Mm. I have no memories of my childhood in a kind of a scary way. Okay. We have a lot to unpack here because first of all, let me ask you, when you say that you blacked out during the psilocybin experience, all three sessions, yep. do, you, do you feel like you experienced an ego death? No. Okay. No. I was actually hoping for the ego death. I was mm-hmm. looking forward to that, but no, it didn't feel like that. So let me ask you, because somebody mentioned to me who is really well-versed in plant medicine, she said that sometimes when you black out during a, a plant medicine journey, it's actually that the medicine is working through you and it's actually helping you to release it and that you don't necessarily have to be aware of what's happening. So I don't know if that's really the case for you. The fact that it happened each of the three sessions that you don't remember any of it, that you completely blacked out. Now Which I didn't black you, out. You do have a whole, lot of trauma. I didn't black out for the whole session in each of them. So it's not as though I went out and came up and said what happened. That's not how mm. it went. But for the first good three or four hours of each session, instead of having memories surface or being visited by divine entities or ancestors or hallucinating or any of that, mm. I just had emptiness. I wasn't conscious of what was going on. I did eventually come to consciousness in each of these sessions and have an experience with them. However, it was still not visitations. It was not hallucinations. It was not memories resurfing. It was not any of that. It was just Mm -hmm. me coming to Mm -hmm. and then grieving, Mm -hmm. just grieving to the nth degree, kind of like a crazy person. Mm. Like when I came to in the first session, I just wept for hours. And the facilitators would look at you so that you could summon them if you wanted them, but they wouldn't intrude upon your experience. But every now and then I would summon and then they would sit and they would hold me while I cried. And Oof. And just sobbing. And for hours, the joke for me was I went through so much Kleenex. I just kept saying, I need more Kleenex. I need more Kleenex. Mm -hmm. And they would hand me this little pack of Kleenex. I was like, no, I need 20 of those. (laughs) And it's because I just could not stop bawling my head off. 
Oh my God, such deep-rooted grief and sadness. Your body was holding on to all of that. And so, yes, so it was cathartic. I remember at one point, Justin sat next to me when I was finally like in my fifth or sixth hour of the first trip. He sat next to me and I just laid it all on him. And I was like, "Ah." and I said, this is my Hail Mary is what I told him. I said, I've tried everything else. And I said, and what if this doesn't work? And I just Mm. lost it. And he was just very loving and very reassuring and telling me I was in the right place and doing the right thing. And that what I was doing was brave and, and that the medicine was there to assist me and processing this grief. So That was the first trip. Afterwards, I did. I felt a sense of relief because the next day you have integration, which is hours and hours of group therapy. Yes. And processing all this and integrating and sharing with each other and healing. And I laughed and I said, well, I came here to feel my feelings and I had six hours of feeling my feelings yesterday. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, for, for a wow. year I complained, I couldn't feel anything. And then in one yes. day I felt everything so strongly that it just blew me away. The second session I did six grams. Whoa. And I basically had a pretty similar experience where the first three or four hours were, I, I don't have any memory of them. Mm. If maybe, p- perhaps I was experiencing things and then I just had no memory afterwards, but I have no memory of anything for the first couple hours. We were on a property where we had our own little space and a lot of us were outside. It was gorgeous. It was on the ocean, but there were people near enough that if they were having a very vocal journey, you could hear it. So I happened to be nearest to this one person who had this really vocal journey. I believe she was vomiting. Mm -hmm. She was screaming. I mean, if you didn't know what was going on, it sounded Mm -hmm. like someone was being, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And so that actually affected my trip because I Mm -hmm. couldn't separate my experience from hearing that. And I wasn't quite with it enough to think, Sue, go somewhere else where you can't hear that. So the second one was the same. Once again, I grieved, not quite as profoundly as I did the first trip. The only memories that, that came to me were of, I had a beloved, beloved cat for 18 years and he really was the cat of my lifetime and he was like my child. And I grieved my cat. Wow. As well as my marriage. Memories of him as a kitten came to me. And I feel like when he died, I was drinking regularly. So I feel like I probably didn't process his grief the way I should have. Yes. And so I I kind of got to process his death. Then also my marriage. And so that was the second one. And the question for the third dose, everybody gets to talk with the therapist and the facilitators about how much you want to dose on the last day. And I had it in my head that I wanted to do a heroic dose. And of course, six grams is a heroic dose, but I I wanted to do the most heroic dose I could do because I kept thinking maybe a higher dose is going to let me tap into the ego death, into the Mm -hmm. divine connection, into having Mm -hmm. the kind of hallucinations or memories 
that I need to process this, right? It seemed like either my mind and psyche were not ready to let me see under the surface. Yes. Or I'd done so much work prior to this that there was nothing to see. Mm. Or what's underneath there is something from childhood that's so horrific I'm not ready to know or see it. Yes. And maybe this is actually just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm. So the third dose, I did 10 grams. Whoa. Yeah, which is massive. Massive. And <laughs> the third dose once again started with me kind of disappearing. But then when I came to, I lay on the ground because I was on a mat on the ground near the ocean. And I lay there and physically convulsed hmm. for four hours. Oh my God. Hard. I was conscious and aware of going through some sort of brutal process of I don't know what. I shook and my muscles were contracting and releasing and mm -hmm. all over my body. Like my muscles would contract and then release and then my whole body would shake. And mentally, they prepare you to surrender to the process. I said over and over to myself for four hours, let go, let go, mm -hmm. Sue, let go, Sue, let go. I must have said it a thousand times. Let go and breathe. And I breathe. I'm like, Sue, breathe. Sue, mm -hmm. breathe. I would breathe and I would say, let go, let go, surrender, surrender. It was not pleasant. It wasn't scary. It yeah. was just brutal. It was like physically brutal, challenging and hard. It's weird to say it was emotionally hard because it's not as though I was experiencing emotion. I knew that I was going through some sort of arduous yeah. process. Purging. Right. Rite of passage. I don't know. I remember the only thing I can describe is that I felt like I was in some sort of purgatory. Not a punishment because I don't believe in that. And I don't feel that that's something that would have come to me. I did not sense any divine, divine entity or beings or even energy that was comforting or supporting me. I felt like I, I was in this purgatory and I could sense that other beings were also going through what I was going through. Mm. I could mm. almost see them. It was almost like a medieval setting where there were these stone staircases that were all over the place. And there were different places where people were also going through mm. similar processes as I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily comforting, but maybe it was on a certain level because it made me realize that I wasn't alone in what I was doing, but I was alone. None of them were offering me any comfort or support. But at least I knew that I wasn't the only one going through this sort of process, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That's the sense I got. Now, I look at that and I think, is that a product of some movies I've seen through my life? Mm. You know, I don't, who knows how the brain 
works. I was going to ask you if you thought it was maybe something from your past life that was coming through and for your body to physically be able to purge it and release that energy that your body had been holding onto. Because a lot of the times when you're purging, it's not necessarily just throwing up. Purging of energy and releasing it is also that kind of like physical purging or yawning, or even some people burp or people yeah. just move their bodies and they dance. It moves it, the energy away and out. Because when you started talking about the medieval, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if that's her past life coming through. You know, that did not occur to me until you just said that. But yeah. that's one of the facets of my healing journey that I forgot to mention is I read all these books about past life regressions. I read books about near-death experiences, mm -hmm. and I read a lot of psychic medium stories about people mm -hmm. that communicate with dearly departed or with, and it changed my beliefs. Yeah. It absolutely changed how I view death. It took away all my fear of death. I have never been one to believe in reincarnation, but now I think we're actually foolish not to believe in it course. But it did not occur to me that that might be a past life. It, That's the immediate was, feeling that I got when you started talking about that and you just started yeah. describing medieval, at least to me. I mean, I believe in reincarnation. I believe in past lives. And I believe that there's some karmic things that you carry into each incarnation and that your yeah. body remembers. Your body remembers yep. everything, not even just in this lifetime, but in all your past lifetimes yeah. and whatever you experienced. Huh. So anyway, it wasn't a very vivid like hallucination. It was vague and it was more like Im imagery mm -hmm. than me experiencing like a lucid dream or anything, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But it's really the only thing I could remember of besides just lying there in my body convulsing and shaking and me saying, Sue, let go, let go. Wow. So you reminded me, I read a book called Signs by Laura Lynn Jackson. She is a psychic mm. medium and you have to read her books yes. to understand how legit she is. She's actually on like the few organizations in the United States that are actually scientists that study psychic phenomenon and people. Yes and mediums that are actually proven to be psychic, she's certified and on the boards of all of these organizations. And yeah, she is legit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And since I read her book, I actually went to see her. She oh, spoke on Long Island and I went to see her. And I have had a few of the most uncanny, undeniable, almost hysterical signs happen in my life since I've been asking for them. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the number 420 for me, which is funny because I'm not a pot smoker. You know, 420, <laughs> the pot date or whatever. I didn't know that. 420 is either the date or the time that it's a pot smoker, like inside joke, 420. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, most people know that in, in marijuana culture. And for some reason, 420 is the number that shows up for me. I did have one of my very best friends died about a year and a half ago, and he was a pot smoker, but it's not like we smoke pot together. But however, apparently numbers are one of the easier ways for the departed to send signals to us. So yes. I get the number 420 
every now and then, not just on the clock, but weird mm -hmm. ways in my life, the number 420 has been showing mm -hmm. up. And I just always know that it's the universe winking or my friend Michael saying hello or this, that, yes. or the other. And so I was lying there and in this horrible trip. And I remember coming to and then like I would lift my blinds up and here's the sunshine and the ocean and it's gorgeous. And I would breathe and go, oh my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and then they recommend that you put your blinds on and go back in. And I kept right. saying, I don't want to go back in there. Don't right. make me go back in there because right. it was so hard. But I knew that it, I felt like it was healing. And so I knew that I had to go back in to keep purging and keep processing, right? Right. And so I would go back in and finally at one point I took my eye shades up and I sat up and I patted the mat next to me and the facilitator came over and sat next to me. And it's the first person I talked to since I went under. And I said, what time is it? Because I wanted to know how long I'd been lying there. Mm. having these seizures and everything because mm. we started about 11 a.m. And so he looked at his watch and he thought, and he said, you've been under for four hours and 20 minutes. Wow. And I just started laughing. Wow. Because I didn't say how long have I been under. I said, what time is it? Right. Right. Instead of saying it's 2 p.m. or 3 right. p.m., Mm -hmm. He said, you've been under four hours and 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And I said, 420. I said, did you just say four hours and 20 <laughs> minutes? And he said, yes. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And for mm -hmm. me, it was just too uncanny a coincidence. I just felt like it was my assurance that I was doing the right thing, that I was in the right place. Yes. That what I felt I was there for was actually occurring and then I started the crying jags again, like I did the first two sessions. And he walked me to the beach and we walked to the ocean. And then we sat down on the beach and then I just cried and cried and cried and cried and poured my heart out to him and just grieved and grieved and grieved and grieved, mm. and grieved more. Ooh. And I felt weak. I felt kind of like I'd been hit by a truck, but there was no pain, by the way. There's no pain in any of this. Yeah. I wasn't in pain and I wasn't scared. I was never scared that I'd lost my mind and it wasn't coming back. I knew it was temporary. Right. And I was even saying that to myself, Sue, this is temporary. I remember at one point saying, Sue, you never have to do this again mm. if you don't want to. Mm. I will never do that high a dose again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, I absolutely want to do psilocybin again because I really would like to know if I just scratched the surface mm. and if these were just intervals for me to grieve and that there's so much more to be discovered and that I'll find out like every couple of months, maybe right. a milder session right, to keep me on my healing journey. How did you feel coming out of that week in Jamaica? Or did you feel lighter? Did you feel energetically that your body had released a lot of grief and whatever it was holding on to? Or did you feel kind of the same 
as you when know, you went in as when you came out? No, I did feel lighter and more peaceful. And you grow very close to the other people that are there going through either similar or totally different, but we're all going through it in one way or shape or form and supporting each other and loving each other. And you grow to love the other people that are there, both the people that work there and the other participants. They all said, you're like a different person than you were when you showed up. Because when I showed up, I went by myself. I didn't know anyone. I was just you know, kind of closed off. And when we left, I was smiling. I was happy. I was loving. I just Mm. hugged everyone. And they just said, your energy has shifted. So Mm -hmm. I trust that's what they were reflecting back at me. Like you seem like a different person. For the month or two after I got home, I did definitely hold on to that lightness of being and that positive mindset. I have settled back into life and the daily grind and the different aspects of my life itself hasn't changed yet. My body physically hasn't really changed that much. Mm. I feel good though. My energy Mm -hmm. is great and I feel good. I still feel a little depressed. I don't feel like that was the magic bullet and suddenly I don't have any more depression. Right. I feel good, but I'm the kind of person where I normally I would feel joy and I have a bit of a tigger energy on good days and I still am not back to that. But you know what? I am still grieving My ex-husband and I were together for eight years and it was the biggest hit of my life. And I'm three years into the healing process of it, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to be over just because I went to Jamaica and healed. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm still in the healing process. So I think up onward and upward from here. Thank you for sharing that because I think that For a lot of people, if they are not familiar with psychedelics and if they're contemplating maybe trying a psychedelic journey, for them to go in with realistic expectations and know that one, two, or even three sessions is not a magic bullet. You're not going to walk out of there and say, I'm fully healed and now my life is going to be perfect moving forward from this point on because it really is, it's just scratching the surface. I mean, there's so many Uh, layers that you need to peel off in order to really get in there and to really fully heal and to be able to release and grieve and let go of whatever your body especially has been holding onto. I mean, you just telling me in the beginning of how you were so disassociated from your body that in the beginning of each session that you would kind of black out and not remember any of it. And then you would kind of come to and then have these very physical experiences for the next like four or five hours. I mean, I truly believe that that was like your body trying to heal itself by releasing as much as it could without you actually having to be conscious about it. It's almost like your body was like, you know what, we're going to do this work for you. You don't need to be aware of it because there's so much that you need to release that we're going to help you. I'm a big believer. The plant medicine is highly intuitive. 
I mean, I'm a big believer. There are no coincidences. I think that everything happens to you for a reason at the exact time that it needs to. Mm. Yeah. Listen, 420, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. You can't make yeah. that up. You can't make that up. There's yeah. a divine intelligence that we are not fully aware of. And I absolutely believe in that. And like yeah. I said, I've had some of the most undeniable, uncanny coincidences happen that, yeah. And of course, I'm or innately skeptical mm-hmm. and doubtful of both myself and things that I just feel like the universe or God or whatever you want to call collective energy, the force, just has to keep knocking me on the head and reminding right. me that, yeah, there is a tapestry that I'm a part of and that things are being woven in and out. All the interactions you have with people, all the experiences, this, that, and the other. I also believe in the fact that time for us in this plane is linear, but that when we cross over, time is Mm -hmm. not going to be linear. It's more all things all at once, you know, like no past, no future. Did you feel like when you were in Jamaica and you did the three psilocybin experiences, did you also feel like you were able to kind of heal your physical body from what you had experienced with the cancer? Did you feel like you were able to kind of grieve and also just kind of release that as well? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. That last session where I was in a seizure for four hours, I definitely Mm. felt that it was my body processing the trauma and releasing Mm. it. Mm -hmm. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I went in March and it's May. So, you know, a year from now, who knows, like I might look back and go, wow, that was the start of a physical reawakening for me, you know? Have you been able to integrate what you experienced when you were in Jamaica now that you're back in New York City? Or has it just been something that you have just taken a step back from? We've had a couple Zoom integration sessions with the therapist at Myco Meditations since then. Mm-hmm. And they're always available if I need a counseling session or that kind of thing. They're just wonderful people. I can't right. recommend Myco Meditations highly enough. I just loved the whole experience, mm-hmm. even though I didn't have any good trips. They weren't bad trips, but they were, they were, not pleas- they were challenging. And I, honestly, I was going in expecting pleasant. Mm. Now, I knew I had some grieving to do, but I was actually also expecting the divine connection. I was expecting maybe the ego dissolution. I was expecting perhaps some memories to surface that I could process, and, Mm. and none of that happened. However, it doesn't matter. I was so glad I went. Do you think you'll do another psilocybin journey, or do you think that you're going to explore maybe some other plant medicines when you're ready? I'm going to do some more psilocybin with a facilitator. I might actually try a lower dose. Mm-hmm. I might see what it's like to take two grams. Right. Because yeah. who knows? Maybe I'm hypersensitive and maybe even three grams was too much for me. Right. And then I went six and 10, you know? <laughs> so maybe if I go just trying two my body and mind will feel safer to explore a little bit more. 
or maybe I'll be a little more conscious of the journey and the experience itself. I mean, you Um, went big or or go home, right? Three grams and six and then 10. My first journey, I did three and a half grams and that was a Uh lot. And my journey lasted for almost eight hours. It was a long journey. Okay. And I was ready. I was ready to kind of come down and ground myself after like five or six hours in, but six to 10 grams, those are some intense journeys for anybody, even if they're experienced and they've done multiple psilocybin ceremonies. I'm not interested in doing ayahuasca. Ayahuasca actually scares me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I haven't researched Mm -hmm. a lot about it, but just from what I've heard, I don't feel called to do ayahuasca. Yeah. But I'm gung-ho for the psilocybin experience. I don't have any plans for my next session, but I definitely think that it's worth exploring. Mm -hmm. And everything I've read about it is just fascinating. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're on the cusp of these plant medicines really becoming more mainstream and not being something that people are going to be afraid to share that they've tried it or afraid that they're interested in doing it. For me, this podcast is really to destigmatize the use of psychedelics. I think it's gotten a bad rap. I think that people have a very, very skewed perception of what psychedelic use is, especially for therapeutic purposes and the benefits that it has for so many people. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned a few times about your childhood and having gaps or like really big Mm -hmm. gaps in your memories of your childhood. Uh-huh. And I have a theory that, especially with childhood memories, if you have gaps in certain time periods, that there was some sort of trauma involved and that your brain shut it off and shut it down temporarily because it was protecting you and trying to keep you safe. And I'm just always curious when somebody says that they don't remember certain parts of their childhood because I also have like little gaps in my memory of childhood. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's just because I'm getting older or just because maybe those events just weren't significant. It didn't really cement into my memory. Well, I personally know people who have discovered later in life that their brain and psyche had completely repressed Mm-hmm. the traumatic memories of their childhood mm-hmm. and through various forms of therapy and maybe hypnosis or plant medicines, they had become aware right. of there are some people walking around who have absolutely no conscious knowledge of traumas yeah. we suffered as children because our brains have completely blocked us from being able to access those memories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I was a little worried that that's what I was going to discover down there because I'm like, why don't I remember? Mm -hmm. But if I'm one of those people, then it hasn't been revealed to me yet. But I Mm -hmm. know firsthand people that that has happened to. You know what else occurred to me? I'll have to ask a therapist or psychiatrist that deals with plant medicines, but I actually wonder if I could do a dose of psilocybin and then do EMDR I be- at I mean, the same I would, time I don't because see why not. that way I'm accessing those feelings, but yeah. then give me the either I stuff or the booz, 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 booz to mm-hmm. release the stuff. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I've never heard or read about 
them trying that. It just seems to make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I haven't heard of anybody using both, but if you're microdosing, I don't see why not because you're not going to be hallucinating. There's not going to be any sort of, right? you know, yeah, yeah psychedelic component from yeah. microdosing. Wow. Yeah, that's something that I want to explore. But anyway, so, I I mean, if you had oh, to guess what time it is, men. What is it? 4:20. <laughs> Are you kidding? It's 4:20. Oh my god. Oh my god. 4:20. Oh my god. And this is going to be my last question for you. See? I'm telling you. I'm telling I you the universe. I was about to say I've been talking your ear off and I looked up to see what time it was and it's 4:20. Divine intelligence, angel numbers. So if you had to share final thoughts or advice for anybody who may be listening or watching and they're curious about psychedelics or they're maybe contemplating actually going on a journey, what would be your advice? I would say go for it. Go for it. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Because I'm with you that the experiences that we need in order to heal us and for us to evolve we will get. And don't be afraid of that. And the medicine knows and your psyche and your soul knows. And so it's not something to be afraid of. That's my experience. I do know some people who had to relive traumatic memories Mm-hmm. And that is very hard. And in a way, it's having to experience them again. Yes. So I have not had that experience. So I can say, don't be scared. Right. There might be some people out there that have had to do that and would say, think twice because it was horrible. Right. However, I think it might be the kind of thing where it's a necessary evil for you to heal. That's my opinion. We're all just trying to heal and support and love each other. It's, if it's going to help me heal, I'm willing to go there. Well, that's a great way to end this conversation, but Sue, I mean, I can't thank you enough. You've just been so open and vulnerable and thank you so much for sharing your story. It's powerful. It's inspiring. And I'm very grateful. Thank you for saying that. One of my favorite quotes is by George Eliot, and it is, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? Mm. And that's what we do when we share our stories, right? Mm -hmm. Our experience, we help each other make life less difficult for each other. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's all about. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And let's try and meet up in person. I would love to grab coffee with you or a non-alcoholic beverage at some point. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. We'll get Beth to go too. All righty. Thanks so much. Bye then. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me. So please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so let me know what resonates for you. Until next time, take care.